0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit www.librivox.org. Today's reading by Alex Foster, www.alexfoster.me.uk. THE MERRY ADVENTURES OF ROBIN HOOD by Howard Pyle Epilogue Thus end the merry adventures of Robin Hood for in spite of his promise it was many a year ere he saw sherwood again after a year or two at court little john came back to nottinghamshire where he lived in an orderly way though within sight of sherwood and where he achieved great fame as the champion of all england with the quarterstaff will Scarlet, after a time came back to his own home whence he had been driven by his unlucky killing of his father's steward the rest of the band did their duty as royal rangers right well but Robin Hood and Alan adale did not come again to Sherwood so quickly, for thus it was. Robin, through his great fame as an archer, became a favourite with the king, so that he speedily rose in rank to be chief of all yeomen. At last the king, seeing how faithful and how loyal he was, created him Earl of Huntingdon, so Robin followed the king to the wars, and found his time so full that he had no chance to come back to Sherwood for even so much as a day. As for Alan adale and his wife, the fair Ellen, they followed Robin Hood and shared in all his ups and downs of life. And now, dear friend, you who have journeyed with me in all these merry doings, I will not bid you follow me further, but will drop your hand here with a good den if you wish it, for that which cometh hereafter speaks of the breaking up of things, and shows how joys and pleasures that are dead and gone can never be set upon their feet to walk again. I will not dwell upon the matter over long, but will tell as speedily as I may of how that stout fellow Robin Hood died as he had lived, not at the court as Earl of Huntingdon, but with bow in hand, his heart in the green wood, and he himself a right yeoman. King Richard died upon the battlefield, in such a way as properly became a lion-hearted king, as you yourself no doubt know. So after a time the Earl of Huntingdon, or Robin Hood as we still call him as of old, finding nothing for his doing abroad, came back to Merry England again. With him came Alan Adale and his wife, the Fair Ellen, for these two had been chief of Robin's household ever since he had left for Sherwood Forest. It was in the springtime when they landed once more on the shores of England. The leaves were green and the small birds sang blithely, just as they used to do in Fair Sherwood when Robin Hood roamed the woodland shades with a free heart and a light heel. All the sweetness of the time and the joyousness of everything brought back to Robin's mind his forest life, so that a great longing came upon him to behold the woodlands once more. He went straightway to King John, and besought leave of him to visit Nottingham for a short season. The King gave him leave to come and go, but bade him not stay longer than three days at Sherwood, so Robin Hood and Alan Adale set forth without delay to Nottinghamshire and Sherwood Forest. The first night they took up their inn at Nottingham Town. Yet they did not go to pay their duty to the sheriff, for his worship bore many a bitter grudge against Robin Hood, which grudges had not been lessened by Robin's rise in the world. The next day, at an early hour, they mounted their horses and set forth for the woodlands. As they passed along the road it seemed to Robin that he knew every stick and stone that his eyes looked upon. Yonder was a path that he had ofttimes trod of a mellow evening with little John beside him. "'here was one now nigh choked with brambles "'along which he and a little band had walked "'when they went forth to see a certain Kurtlefriar. friar "'Thus they rode slowly onward, "'talking about these old familiar things, "'old and yet new, "'for they found more in them than they had ever thought of before. "'Thus at last they came to the open glade "'and the broad, wide-spreading greenwood tree "'which was their home for so many years. "'Neither of the two spoke when they stood beneath that tree.' Robin looked all about him at the well-known things, so like what they used to be, and yet so different. For, where once was the bustle of many busy fellows, was now the quietness of solitude, and as he looked, the woodlands, the greenswood, and the sky all blurred together in his sight through salt tears, for such a yearning came upon him as he looked on these things, as well known to him as the fingers of his right hand, that he could not keep back the water from his eyes. That morning he had slung his good old bugle horn over his shoulder, and now with the yearning came a great longing to sound his bugle once more. He raised it to his lips, he blew a blast. "Tirilla lirilla" the sweet clear notes went winding down the forest paths, coming back again from the more distant bosky shades in faint echoes of sound; "Tirilla lirilla, tirilla lirilla, lirilla," until it faded away and was lost. Now it chanced that on that very morn Little John was walking through a spur of the forest upon certain matters of business, and as he paced along, sunk in meditation, the faint clear notes of a distant bugle horn came to his ear. As leaps the stag when it feels the arrow at its heart, so leapt Little John when that distant sound met his ear. All the blood in his body seemed to rush like a flame into his cheeks as he bent his head and listened. Again came the bugle note, thin and clear, and yet again it sounded— then little john gave a great wild cry of yearning of joy and yet of grief and putting down his head he dashed into the thicket onward he plunged crackling and rending as the wild boar rushes through the underbrush little wrecked he of thorns and briars that scratched his flesh and tore his clothing for all he thought of was to get by the shortest way to the greenwood glade where he knew the sound of the bugle horn came out he burst from the covert at last a shower of little broken twigs falling about him, and, without pausing a moment, rushed forward and flung himself at Robin's feet. Then he clasped his arms round his master's knees, and all his body was shaken with great sobs. Neither could Robin nor Alan Dale speak, but stood looking down at little John, the tears rolling down their cheeks. While they thus stood, seven royal rangers rushed into the open glade and raised a great shout of joy at the sight of Robin, and at their head was Will Stutely. Then after a while came four more, panting with their running, and two of these four were Will Scathlock and Midge the miller, for all of these had heard the sound of Robin Hood's horn. All these ran to Robin and kissed his hands and his clothing with great sound of weeping. After a while Robin looked around him with tear-dimmed eyes and said in a husky voice, "'Now I swear that never again will I leave these dear woodlands. I have been away from them and from you too long.' Now do I lay by the name of Robert earl of Huntingdon and take upon me once again that nobler title Robin Hood the yeoman at this a great shout went up and all the yeomen shook one another's hands for joy the news that Robin Hood had come back again to dwell in Sherwood as of old spread like wildfire all over the countryside so that ere a sun-night had passed nearly all of his old yeomen had gathered about him again but when the news of all this had reached the ears of king john he swore both loud and deep and took a solemn vow that he would not rest until he had Robin Hood in his power, dead or alive. Now there was present at court a certain knight, Sir William Dale, as gallant a soldier as ever donned harness. Sir William Dale was well acquainted with Sherwood Forest, for he was head-keeper over that part of it that lay nigh to good Mansfield town, so to him the king turned, and bade him take an army of men and go straightway to seek Robin Hood. Likewise the king gave Sir William his signet ring to show to the sheriff that he might raise all his armed men to aid others in their chase of Robin. So Sir William and the sheriff set forth to do the king's bidding, and to search for Robin Hood, and for seven days they hunted up and down, yet found him not. Now had Robin Hood been as peaceful as of old, everything might have ended in smoke, as other such ventures had always done before. But he had fought for years under King Richard, and was changed from what he used to be. It galled his pride to thus flee away before those sent against him, as a chaste fox flees from the hounds. So thus it came about at last that Robin Hood and his yeomen met Sir William and the sheriff, and their men in the forest, and a bloody fight followed. The first man slain in that fight was the sheriff of Nottingham, for he fell from his horse with an arrow in his brain ere half a score of shafts had been sped. Many a better man than the sheriff kissed the sod that day, but at last Sir William Dale, being wounded and most of his men slain, he withdrew, beaten, and left the forest. But scores of good fellows were left behind him, stretched out all stiff beneath the sweet green boughs. But though Robin Hood had beaten off his enemies in a fair fight, all this lay heavily upon his mind, so that he brooded over it until a fever seized upon him. For three days it held him, and though he strove to fight it off he was forced to yield at last thus it came that, on the morning of the fourth day, he called Little John to him, and told him that he could not shake the fever from him, and that he would go to his cousin, the prioress of the nunnery near Kirklees in Yorkshire, who was a skilful leech, and he would have her open a vein in his arm and take a little blood from him, for the bettering of his health. Then he bade Little John make ready to go also, for he might perchance need aid in his journeying. So Little John and he took their leave of the others and Robin Hood bade Will Stutely to be the captain of the band until they should come back. Thus they came by easy stages and slow journeying until they reached the nunnery of Kirklees. Now Robin had done much to aid this cousin of his, for it was through King Richard's love of him that she had been made prioress of the place, but there is nought in the world so easily forgot as gratitude." So when the prioress of Kirklees had heard how her cousin, the Earl of Huntingdon, had thrown away his earldom and gone back to Sherwood, she was vexed to the soul, and feared lest her cousinship with him should bring the king's wrath upon her also. Thus it happened that, when Robin came to her and told her how he wished her services as a leech, she began plotting ill against him in her mind, thinking that by doing evil to him she might find favour with his enemies. Nevertheless, she kept this well to herself— and received Robin with seeming kindness. She led him up a winding stone stair to a room which was just beneath the eaves of a high round tower, but she would not let little John come with him. So the poor yeoman turned his feet away from the door of the nunnery, and left his master in the hands of the women. But though he did not come in, neither did he go far away, for he laid him down in a little glade near by where he could watch the place that Robin abided, like some great faithful dog turned away from the door where his master has entered. After the women had gotten Robin Hood to the room beneath the eaves, the prioress sent all of the others away. Then, taking a little cord, she tied it tightly about Robin's arm, as though she were about to bleed him. And so she did bleed him. But the vein she opened was not one of those that lie close and blue beneath the skin. Deeper she cut than that, for she opened one of those veins through which the bright red blood runs leaping from the heart, Of this Robin knew not, for though he saw the blood flow, it did not come fast enough to make him think there was anything ill in it. Having done this vile deed, the prioress turned and left her cousin, locking the door behind her. All that lifelong day the blood ran from Robin Hood's arm, nor could he check it, though he strove in every way to do so. Again and again he called for help, but no help came, for his cousin had betrayed him, and little John was too far away to hear his voice. So he bled, and bled, until he felt his strength slipping away from him. Then he arose, tottering, and bearing himself up by the palms of his hands against the wall, he reached his bugle horn at last. Thrice he sounded it, but weakly and faintly, for his breath was fluttering through sickness and loss of strength. Nevertheless little John heard it where he lay in the glade, and with a heart all sick with dread, he came running and leaping toward the nunnery. Loudly he knocked at the door, and in a loud voice shouted for them to let him in, but the door was of massive oak, strongly barred, and studded with spikes, so they felt safe and bade little John begone. Then little John's heart was mad with grief and fear for his master's life. Wildly he looked about him, and his sight fell upon a heavy stone mortar such as three men could not lift nowadays. Little John took three steps forward, and, bending his back, heaved the stone mortar up from where it stood deeply rooted. Staggering under its weight, he came forward and hurled it crashing against the door. In burst the door, and away fled the frightened nuns, shrieking at his coming. Then Little John strode in, and never a word said he, but up the winding stone steps he ran till he reached the room wherein his master was. Here he found the door locked also, but putting his shoulder against it— He burst the locks as though they were made of brittle ice. There he saw his own dear master, leaning against the grey stone wall, his face all white and drawn, and his head swaying to and fro with weakness. Then with a great wild cry of love and grief and pity, Little John leapt forward and caught Robin Hood in his arms. Up he lifted him as a mother lifts her child, and carrying him to the bed, laid him tenderly thereon. And now the prioress came in hastily, for she was frightened at what she had done, and dreaded the vengeance of Little John and the others of the band. Then she staunched the blood by cunning bandages, so that it flowed no more. All the while Little John stood grimly by, and after she had done, he sternly bade her to be gone, and she obeyed, pale and trembling. Then after she had departed, Little John spake cheering words, laughing loudly and saying that all this was a child's fright, and that no stout yeoman would die at the loss of a few drops of blood. Why, quoth he, give thee a send, knight, and thou wilt be roaming the woodlands as boldly as ever. But Robin shook his head, and smiled faintly where he lay. Mine own dear little John, whispered he, Heaven bless thy kind rough heart, but, dear friend, we will never roam the woodlands together again. "'Aye, but we will,' quoth Little John loudly. "'I say again, aye, out upon it. "'Who dares say that any more harm shall come upon thee? "'Am I not by? "'Let me see who dares touch.' "'Here he stopped off of a sudden, for his words choked him. "'At last he said in his deep, husky voice, "'Now, if aught of harm befalls thee, because of this day's doings, "'I swear by St. George that the red cock shall crow over the roof-tree of this house.' for the hot flames shall lick every crack and cranny thereof. As for these women, here he ground his teeth, it will be an ill day for them. But Robin Hood took Little John's rough brown fist in his white hands and chid him softly in his low weak voice, asking him since what time Little John had thought of doing harm to women, even in vengeance. Thus he talked till at last the other promised in a choking voice, that no ill should fall upon the place, no matter what happened. Then a silence fell, and Little John sat with Robin Hood's hand in his, gazing out of the open window, ever and anon swallowing a great lump that came in his throat. Meantime the sun dropped slowly in the west, till all the sky was ablaze with a red glory. Then Robin Hood, in a weak, faltering voice, bade Little John raise him that he might look out once more upon the woodlands, So the yeoman lifted him in his arms as he bade, and Robin Hood's head lay on his friend's shoulder. Long he gazed with a wide-lingering look, while the other sat with a bowed head, the hot tears rolling one after another from his eyes and dripping upon his bosom, for he felt that the time of parting was near at hand. Then, presently, Robin Hood bade him string his stout bow for him, and chose a smooth fair arrow from his quiver. This little John did, though without disturbing his master, or rising from where he sat. Robin Hood's fingers wrapped lovingly around his good bow, and he smiled faintly when he felt it in his grasp. Then he knocked the arrow on that part of the string that tips of his fingers knew so well. Little John, said he, little John, mine own dear friend, and him I love better than all the others in the world. Mark, I prithee, where this arrow lodges, and there let my grave be digged. Lay me with my face toward the east, Little John, and see that my resting place be kept green, and that my weary bones be not disturbed. As he finished speaking, he raised himself of a sudden and sat upright. His old strength seemed to come back to him, and drawing the bowstring to his ear, he sped the arrow out of the open casement. As the shaft flew, his hand sank slowly with the bow till it lay across his knees, and his body likewise sank back again into Little John's loving arms but something had sped from that body, even as the winged arrow spanged from the bow. For some minutes little John sat motionless, but presently he laid that which he held gently down, then, folding the hands upon the breast and covering up the face, he turned upon his heel and left the room without a word or a sound. Upon the steep stairway he met the prioress and some of the chief among the sisters, To them he spoke in a deep, quivering voice, and said he, "'And ye go within a score of feet of yonder room. I will tear down your rookery over your heads, so that not one stone shall be left upon another. Bear my words well in mind, for I mean them.' So saying, he turned and left them, and they presently saw him running rapidly across the open and through the falling of the dusk, until he was swallowed up by the forest." THE EARLY GRAY OF THE COMING MORN WAS JUST BEGINNING TO LIGHTEN THE BLACK SKY TOWARD THE EASTWARD WHEN LITTLE JOHN AND SIX MORE OF THE BAND CAME RAPIDLY ACROSS THE OPEN TOWARD THE NUNNERY. THEY SAW NO ONE, FOR THE SISTERS WERE ALL HIDDEN AWAY FROM SIGHT, HAVING BEEN FRIGHTENED BY LITTLE JOHN'S WORDS. UP THE STONE STAIR THEY RAN, AND A GREAT SOUND OF WEEPING WAS PRESENTLY HEARD. AFTER A WHILE THIS CEASED, AND THEN CAME THE SCUFFLING AND SHUFFLING OF MEN'S FEET AS THEY CARRIED A HEAVY WEIGHT DOWN THE STEEP AND WINDING STAIRS. So they went forth from the nunnery, and as they passed through the doors thereof, a great loud sound of wailing arose from the glade that lay all dark in the dawning, as though many men, hidden in the shadows, had lifted up their voices in sorrow. Thus died Robin Hood at Kirkley's nunnery in fair Yorkshire, with mercy in his heart toward those that had been his undoing, for thus he showed mercy for the erring and pity for the weak through all the time of his living. His yeomen were scattered henceforth, but no great ill befell them thereafter, for a more merciful sheriff, and one who knew them not so well, succeeded the one that had gone, and they being separated here and there throughout the countryside, they abided in peace and quietness, so that many lived to hand down these tales to their children and their children's children. A certain one saith, that upon a stone at Kirklees, is an old inscription. This I give in the ancient English in which it was written, and thus it runs. Here underneath this little stain lies Robert, Earl of Huntington. Nay a archer, where as he say good, and people called him Robin Hood. Sick outlaws as he and his men, well England, ne dare see again. Obit, 24 Cal, Cambris, 1247. And now, dear friend, We also must part, for our merry journeyings have ended, and here at the grave of Robin Hood we turn, each going his own way. End of the Epilogue End of The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood by Howard Pyle Read by Alex Foster, www.alexfoster.me.uk On the sixteenth of march twenty o six, in Sherwood, Nottinghamshire.